I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 29 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're taking a look at Avengers number 27, Four Against the Flood Tide. This issue is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Frank Ray, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in April of 1966. So the last couple of issues, I haven't had a whole lot of really nice things to say about the covers. That changes this issue. This is a spectacular cover. It is eye-catching, it is colorful, it is fairly representative of the issue. It's a cover, so they will never be truly representative, but this is about as representative as I can expect from a comic book cover, and I love it. Picking up where we left off last issue, we find Hawkeye sitting in the subliminal recall inducer, trying to remember the passcode in order to access the message that the rest of the Avengers left when they went to go chase after Wasp and Atuma. Not only did we leave Hawkeye sitting in the subliminal recall inducer, but we also left a shadowy figure standing in the doorway looking in on Hawkeye. To start Hawkeye sitting here in the subliminal recall reducer, if you haven't noticed, I really like that name because I keep saying the whole thing. It just, it's ridiculousness on a very comic book level. But Hawkeye sitting in the chair here really reminds me of Immortus sitting in his throne in the office. And it's also honestly here one of the best Hawkeye panels we've seen in a while, probably since we had John Romita Sr. doing the inks. And before that, I can't think of a better panel of just Hawkeye. Also, at the beginning of this issue, for several pages, we get a large number of editorial narration boxes that just kind of get on my nerves. They're not really terrible, but I also don't necessarily think they serve much of a purpose. If you've read the last issue, they serve basically no purpose other than to add words to the page and remind you what you already read. Thankfully for Hawkeye, the subliminal recall inducer does its job and he remembers that the passcode he is looking for is 1313. So he is now able to go read the message and hopefully catch up with the rest of the Avengers. But as Hawkeye was sitting down, he was not completely oblivious and he also noticed the mysterious figure standing in the doorway. So when that mysterious figure attacks, Hawkeye is at least somewhat prepared. I wouldn't say more than prepared, but he's ready for an attack and therefore the attack fails. Now Hawkeye is attacked by a character in a green jumpsuit with kind of purple three-fingered gloves, a green domed helmet with little antennae sticking out of it, but the character isn't currently named. We will find out it is the Beetle, but at least to start, Hawkeye has no idea who's attacking him, only that someone is attacking him. I enjoy the fight here. It's not over the top, it's not too much, especially for an opening of an issue, but it does get the issue off to a good start. I also realized the Beetle is like the fifth person to break into Avengers Mansion. We had Space Phantom, we've had Hulk, Zemo's henchmen when they abducted Rick Jones, and then Swordsman and now Beetle. I've said this before, but the Avengers really, really, really need a better security system. At least when Swordsman broke in, the security system alerted the Avengers, but nothing happened here with Beetle. If everybody knows where they're living, and everyone pretty much does, I would like to think that they would be prepared for this kind of event. But obviously I'm wrong, because it keeps happening, and will keep happening for God only knows how long. So during the fight, Hawkeye manages to get himself away from the Beetle for a moment and reads the message that the Avengers left for him. Now all Hawkeye has to do is get away from Beetle and he can go join the rest of his teammates. Now Hawkeye's initial attack on the Beetle doesn't really go very well. 
he's got to improvise. And I really appreciate the fact that Hawkeye quickly learns from what works and what doesn't work and adjusts his tactics to suit. So instead of just trying to shoot a regular arrow at Beetle, which he can block with his giant metal wings, Hawkeye instead tricks Beetle into blocking the arrow with his wings, only to have Hawkeye use a bolo arrow, which wraps up the wings in rope along with you know the rest of Beetle, and Hawkeye is able to leave him tied up. Now, as we'll see, I believe actually in the next issue, this is actually kind of a a bad idea on Hawkeye's part. But he at least is able to adapt quickly and take out Beetle without a whole lot of fuss. Now, where we left the rest of the Avengers last issue was inside Atuma's really cool submarine fighting with Atuma himself in a rapidly filling with water combat chamber. So last issue, Atuma was goaded into fighting the Avengers again after he'd already beaten them, only this time they were allowed air helmets so they could properly breathe because Atuma's commanders thought it was cowardice to so easily defeat someone who was handicapped like that. So as the Avengers were fighting Atuma, Scarlet Witch caused the center column that was holding up the chamber to collapse, and the chamber started flooding. So now, the Avengers are forced to fight Atuma in his natural habitat, because he's basically an offshoot Atlantean. So he was born underwater, and this is where he lives. It's a really bad thing for the Avengers, because, I mean, they're normal humans. They've got some additional abilities and skills, but unlike Atuma, they were not born and genetically adapted to this environment. So Atuma really quickly just starts beating down on the Avengers. Before Captain America can even act, he takes out Cap. Quicksilver attempts to react, but even with his speed in the water, Atuma's faster. So he is able to deflect Quicksilver's attack. And then Atuma wraps up Scarlet Witch in her cape. This is a real life or death struggle for the Avengers, and they are not doing well. Now, once again, we see that the Avengers are members of the jet of the month club only this time hawkeye has managed to get a jet from reed richards so while the avengers are fighting atuma we see hawkeye taking off in the jet and going out over the coast as he does so we see the effects of atuma's tidal expander ships at harbor are already getting rocked you can see the sea underneath the jet is getting very rocky although it's funny because the bottom of the panel the sea is very rocky and at the top it's very calm only two or three piers over but then as we progress we see the effect that the tidal expander is having on ships at sea and we get some really fantastic panels here of ships in storms one in particular looks like a fishing trawler out at sea and it's going through these massive, massive white caps. This is just fantastic comic art, really evokes and makes you feel like you are in this storm with the darkness of the water and the sky, the white caps and the breaking of the waves. It's a fantastic panel. I really love it. I'll definitely make sure to put this on the Instagram page. Now, back with the Avengers, Scarlet Witch manages to break the observation window that Atuma's men have been watching the fight through. So they're able to get, not out of the water strictly, but they're able to get themselves a little more air because the air in their helmets is quickly running out. They're kind of setting Atuma and his men off balance, right? They're starting to flood parts of the submarine that really weren't intended to be flooded. I'm kind of curious on that one. I don't really understand why. If they're Atlantean and they spend all of their time underwater, I would think their technology is built around being submerged in water all the time. 
being the engineer that I am, I understand physically that that's probably not a reality. Saltwater and advanced electronics really don't mix. But for argument's sake, I would think that the Atlanteans would have technology based around the fact that they live underwater. That's their society. As this water rushes into the rest of the submarine, obviously Atuma's crew is running around trying to make sure that things aren't damaged, they're trying to deal with the flooding, and Quicksilver attempts to make it into what he thinks is kind of a safe area, only in this case, it is an ejector tube, and Quicksilver is shot out of the submarine and basically left to die only to be somewhat miraculously found by Hawkeye. Hawkeye knows about where the Avengers are supposed to be based on their message, but it's really fortuitous timing on Quicksilver's part that Hawkeye shows up when he does and is able to save Quicksilver. From this point, this book turns into a bit of a buddy action movie between Quicksilver and Hawkeye. It kind of reminds me, obviously not content-wise, but tonally of something like a Bad Boys or something where it's an action movie, but you got the two guys who kind of opposites, almost like a buddy cop movie, but obviously not cops. It's a lot of fun here. Quicksilver and Hawkeye jump into the jet that Hawkeye borrowed from the Fantastic Four, which is actually capable of also being a submarine because it's the Fantastic Four, so, you know, why not? And the pair go looking for Atuma and, obviously, Captain America and Scarlet Witch. When they submerge initially... They don't find Atuma's submarine. Instead, Atuma has left a couple of patrol submarines to engage, just in case, to cover his, his rear, so to speak. So we get several panels of Quicksilver and Hawkeye avoiding these patrol craft. Quicksilver takes over the controls because he can manipulate them much faster and get the ship to respond and do things that, you know, wouldn't be able to do normally. One of those things, so cool, is that in order to lose the patrol submarines, they go speeding right towards a massive, gigantic octopus. What Quicksilver does, very much in like a B-monster movie kind of vein, also reminds me a little bit of the Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea back from, I think it's the 1960s or 1970s, is that they drive in and around the octopus, and when the patrol craft follow, they're unable to match the maneuvers that Hawkeye and Quicksilver are performing. And so the giant octopus grabs the patrol craft and our Avengers are able to escape and continue after Atuma. Back on Atuma's submarine, things seem to have settled down a little bit. Flooding and whatnot seem to be under control because Atuma is sitting in a command chair, a throne of some kind, and Captain America and... Scarlet Witch are in handcuffs and tied up. Captain America, being the intelligent strategist that he is, has realized Atuma's kind of fatal flaw, his hubris, his pride. Cap decides to start playing on that, especially in front of his men, and Cap starts claiming that the title expander is all a bluff. It's not actually happening. And he demands that Atuma prove to him what's going on. Atuma not being able to deal with a question to his pride, uh, his grand scheme like this, especially in front of his men, takes Cap and Scarlet Witch to his control room to show him, hey, no, look, this is exactly what, what I'm doing. Here you can see on the video monitor, here's the expander, here's the results, I'm doing great, I'm winning here. And Cap says, oh, okay, 
Atuma orders them to be put in, in prison cells to await their execution. Right as that's about to happen, as they're being escorted, I should say, Hawkeye and Quicksilver enter Atuma's submarine by the most expedient method possible by smashing in through one of the giant windows. Kind of irregardless of consequence, because Hawkeye even says, We're in luck! Look, Atuma has an automatic device which dropped a new glass wall in place of the one we just crashed through. What a crazy random happenstance that Atuma had a device to deal with exactly what you just did. Or comic books. I vote A. Now that Hawkeye and Quicksilver are back on Atuma's submarine, Quicksilver starts making very, very fast work of Atuma's guards. And that's not an exaggeration or, or a joke. Because he knows his sister is in peril, Quicksilver is filled with purpose. Hawkeye commented to similar effect when they were on the submarine and Quicksilver was rapidly controlling the submarine and now here he's really fighting with very little in reserve just to take out as many of Atuma's guards as possible and free his sister now there is a really great moment here because Hawkeye is basically not a part of this fight at all until two of Atuma's men bring out this giant piece of artillery and then Hawkeye just shoots a single blast arrow at them the quote from Atuma's guard is spectacular. He says, Behold, the other one, he has fired an arrow. And then the next panel is just a giant explosion. If anybody watches Game of Thrones, it's that moment from season two and the Battle of the Blackwater where Braun launches the flaming arrow at the ship with the dragon fire in it, and everybody's watching the arrow almost in slow motion. You know what's coming, but it takes way longer than it should because they slow time down there that's what this feels like you just this, the single arrow going through like oh oh that that's probably not very good nope no that was bad so while captain america and scarlet witch were in atuma's control room and then he was determining what to do with them cap has slowly been working on loosing his bonds so as they're being escorted to their holding cells, Cap is able to get out of the ropes that are tying him up. His hands are still bound in the handcuffs, but he's at least able to free himself for the most part. He tells Scarlet Witch to fake a fainting spell, and then he takes out the two guards that are escorting them. So now Scarlet Witch and Captain America are free, which is just in time because Quicksilver and Hawkeye have literally worked themselves into a really terrible corner. They are getting shot at by pretty much everyone on Atuma's ship. They're hiding behind this little pillar, and there are just energy blasts coming from everywhere. It's kind of a Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid kind of moment where they realize that they're probably doomed, but they've got that gallows humor. It's like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid where they jump off the cliff, and the one guy's worried about not being able to swim, and they realize that, no, the fall is probably going to kill us anyways. It's that kind of moment. Not only is it that kind of moment, Atuma's like literally pulling out all the stops. He rolls up with a tank, a no kidding tank. It is the Y-Ray tank. At first I thought it was the X-Ray tank, but no, it is in fact the Y-Ray tank. I guess that's like a letter worse than the X-Rays? I, I don't know. But right as the tank shows up, so do Captain America and Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch actually takes control of the tank and starts wiping out Atuma's men. The tank's weapon is actually so powerful that even Atuma himself, who is, you know, supposed to be the strongest of the group, is unable to resist it, so he has to flee as well. 
While Wanda is taking care of this, Cap has run off somewhere, and we'll see where he went in a minute. But at this point, the Avengers are able to evacuate. It's really kind of a fighting retreat. They don't need to stick around. They don't need to fight Atuma's men to the end. They really just need to take care of business and get out. One of the taking care of business things is that the Avengers came here to find Wasp. It pleases me at least some that we remembered, hey, this is why we came here. The Avengers are unable to find Wasp, so either she's hiding somewhere else or she's been able to make her way off the submarine on her own. But either way, the Avengers aren't able to find Wasp. So mission didn't really work as planned. At this point, the Avengers pile into their borrowed submarine and they escape but things aren't quite over because Atuma decides that he's not going to let them escape he is going to increase the pressure of his flood tide and destroy the submarine destroy the Avengers so remember a moment ago when I said Captain America had run off Captain America ran off to the control room which Atuma very generously showed him where it was and he reversed some of the controls on the Tide Expander. As a result, Atuma's own submarine is sucked in, the Tide Expander and Atuma's submarine both appear to have been destroyed, and the Avengers are free to make their way back to New York. The last two panels of this issue, I was slightly mistaken in that we see the Avengers having returned to New York and the Beetle is missing from Avengers Mansion. I mentioned earlier that I thought it was in next issue. It's actually the last two panels of this issue where the Beetle is gone and there's a message waiting for the Avengers concerning Wasp. So, like I said, we didn't forget about Wasp and we will find out what happened to Wasp in the next issue. The next issue also heralds the return of Giant Man and The Collector. Keep that in mind for a moment because I'll come back to that here in a minute. Overall for this issue, I really enjoyed this book. There is a ton of action and more importantly, it looks amazing. The inking on this book is so awesome. Last issue with the new anchor, Frank Ray, I complained a fair amount that we were lacking in the detail we'd kind of come to expect in this book. This issue, almost completely opposite of last issue, was so chock full of detail. The fact that most of it takes place underwater and involves a lot of moving water and bubbles and that kind of thing really required that kind of detail. But Don Hex pencils obviously underneath and then Frank Ray's inks on top really make it work. It looks just incredible. This might be one of my favorite issues we've covered so far. There's a ton of action going on. The book looks great. I like the plot. It moves forward. There's a couple of little plot twists that are fun. And there's just the right amount of funny, right? We get the buddy cop thing with Quicksilver and Hawkeye. It's like a buddy cop movie with tights and capes. This is more of what I want. I want a little bit of humor. I want a lot of action. I want the heroes saving the day. And this is just a really good example of a great comic book, especially of this time period. I'm excited for the next issue. Getting back to when I mentioned holding on to the collector for a moment, we have a question for this week, and that question is from listener Kyle. When is the Avengers' first foray into Cosmic Marvel? So I figured this is a good question for this week because obviously Guardians of the Galaxy came out this past weekend. Saw the movie, really enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed the first Guardians a little bit more, not gonna lie, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is a still a fantastic movie, and if you haven't gone out and seen it already, definitely go out and see it. Because the Guardians are a big part of Cosmic Marvel, this seemed like a really fitting question. So the reality is that the Avengers have been involved with things from outer space, aliens and whatnot, for most of their existence. 
If you take a look back at some of the issues we've already covered, Avengers number two has the Space Phantom. Avengers number four has a member of the Dabari species. Next issue, we will introduce the Collector, who is one of the elders of the universe. The Avengers have had a lot of interactions with various cosmic groups. Probably the first big foray, though, is the Kree Skrull War. So that is a storyline that will take place from Avengers 89 to 97 and is kind of considered a prototype for a modern event comic. It has a lot of the same trappings as a modern event, only the difference here is that it's kept within a single book. It's only within the Avengers, so it doesn't have the event title like a Secret Wars or a Civil War has. That's probably the Avengers' first introduction, though. We get, obviously, the Kree and the Skrull, you know, the Kree Supreme in Intelligence. We get Captain Marvel. There's a lot of big deal Marvel cosmic stuff in the Kree-Skrull War. After that, much like any of the other Marvel titles, they periodically will go back to a Marvel cosmic event of some kind. Like X-Men tend to go back and forth with the Shi'ar or the Brood. The Avengers will be involved with the Kree, with the Skrull. There'll be a little bit of intermingling with the Guardians of the Galaxy. By the time we get to the 90s, obviously there is Thanos and all the Infinity Gauntlet stuff. That's kind of where we're heading, but this is where it starts. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to andrew at avengersassembly.com. Next week, we're actually doing something a little bit different, because I will be at Tidewater Comic Con on Saturday, May 13th at 12pm in room 4C4D, and I will be presenting... The Infinity Gems, A Brief History. If you are in the Tidewater area and can make it, please, please come. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to throw a lot of information at you. Almost 200 issues of research going into this one, trying to combine 40 years of Marvel continuity into about 35 minutes of panel, hopefully with a little bit of time for some questions. With that in mind, next week will actually be a recording of our live panel. But if you'd like to read ahead a little bit, in two weeks we will be taking a look at Avengers number 28, Among Us Walks a Goliath. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs>